Hi, this is Tia Sarkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this epic more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Twin Suns Transmission. I'm your host, Eric Pfeiffer, joined today by Amanda DeFonzo, and we have a great one for you today, guys. We're going to be doing something that we've never really done here on Twin Suns Transmission, and of course, you know we are a Star Wars podcast, but we are going to be comparing Star Wars with Marvel, another one of our favorite fandoms here in this household and uh, Amanda, I'm kind of excited to dive into some of this Marvel content uh, and comparing that to some of the characters in Star Wars. Absolutely. I am really stoked for this episode because it's covering one of my absolute favorite characters. Actually, I think my absolute favorite character, period, in the Marvel fandom, Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. Scarlet Witch. Awesome. So we know that... A lot of Marvel content has been produced lately and aired lately on Disney+. Plus. The series WandaVision just ending only a couple weeks ago. And as we post this podcast today, it's the first day, first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So hopefully everybody is enjoying those. Um, but we know Star Wars is, is always present and we're very excited for the Bad Batch on May 4th. That's going to be the next Star Wars piece of content. Um, but right now Marvel is going strong and we thought this would be a perfect time to kind of compare, uh, what's, what's happened with Wanda Maximoff, uh, to some of the other characters in the Star Wars universe. But before we do that, Amanda, let's go into the Star Wars news. Yes, we are getting some brand new TV shows coming to Disney+. Plus. Well, they are new to Disney+, Plus, not new to us that have uh, been around watching all these shows since the beginning. Well, at least those that were born early enough to have seen these when they came out. We are getting the, the animated short, The Story of the Faithful Wookiee, that was featured during the holiday special. And it was actually the first appearance of bounty hunter Boba Fett. And that aired... In 1978, we will also be getting to Disney Plus two TV movies that have all of our favorite little murder bears, the Ewoks, 1984's Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, and 1985's Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. Man, I loved little Sindel. She was the cutest. And we will also be getting one of my personal favorite micro-series, Star Wars The Clone Wars TV micro-series by Gennady Tartakovsky that aired on Cartoon Network from 2003 to 2005. Yeah, and this is all really exciting. And, and the one thing that stuck out to me was that basically what we're getting now, this new batch of Star Wars content, is not canon, right? I mean, if you think about it, 
basically everything Star Wars that's been put on Disney Plus has been a canon part of the story. It's the original six movies. Of course, now we have all nine. We have the standalone films. We have the Clone Wars. We have Resistance. We have um, uh, Rebels. And all that stuff is canon. I guess if you want to include, you know, the Lego shorts and Forces of Destiny, I, I don't know about all that stuff. So I guess maybe with that, they're they're kind of getting around that. But um, this stuff, I mean, TV movies and the original Clone Wars micro series. I mean, for a while, people were taking that as canon. So I'm wondering if Lucasfilm or Disney is going to put something, you know, a little a little blurb or disclaimer or something letting people know that this isn't actual actually part of the story just to avoid confusion with continuity i don't know and has this expressly been said that this is not canon i mean a lot of what happened paired up really well with some of the events that went on in the uh the disney well the half disney clone wars one disney clone wars <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were some cool things that we don't get to see in the new version, the Clone Wars animated show that we did not get to see in the Tartakovsky Clone Wars, like Anakin getting knighted and Padme presenting Anakin with R2-D2 and things like that that we did not get to see. Um, but there are some direct contradictions with leading up to um, Episode 3. Uh, and we see where Anakin is right before he goes to rescue the Chancellor, and we know where he is um, in Episode 3, and then at the end of this Clone Wars, kind of, um, you know, with Ahsoka and all that. So he's on the ship, and he gives Ahsoka the sabers, and then they have to go rescue the Chancellor, and that's not the way, that's not what Anakin was doing right before going to rescue the Chancellor in the micro-series. So, you know... I don't really care. I love both of them, and I love watching them um, for what they are. I remember watching them on Cartoon Network as a kid, just kind of sitting there waiting for you know, the show to start and stuff, and, and uh, running up to my computer upstairs in my room after the episode ended, asking people on the StarWars.com fan page what they thought and stuff. Like I just remember all that. So I'm very excited for it, even though there are some continuity problems. Um, but that's to be expected. Especially with as long as Star Wars has been going on, there's going to be some things that get shifted as the story develops down the road. Yeah, definitely. But very excited nonetheless for that. That's only a couple weeks away before we get that stuff, and I couldn't be happier with the new content that's going to be added. So looking forward to that. And then, of course... We did get another piece of exciting news. Indira Varma, who played Illyria Sand. Did I say her first name right, Amanda? Illyria? Illaria. Illaria Sand in Game of Thrones is going to appear in the Kenobi television series on Disney+. Plus. But other than that, we don't know any details about her character. They're keeping that pretty far under wraps. So another one of Game of Thrones characters uh game of thrones actors coming to join into the star wars scene which is pretty cool there's not been a number of them yes and not to mention that this particular um game of thrones character is the significant other of another famous star wars character um on that on that tv show yeah pedro pascal mm-hmm yep 
And then we had Gwendolyn Christie, who obviously was Brienne of Tarth. She played Captain Phasma. And then we had uh, one of the Sand Snakes, the one of Alaria Sand's daughters. Uh, she was actually Jessica Pava, who is in The Force Awakens as one of the Resistance pilots. There's a lot of crossover with some of this stuff, so it's kind of cool to see. I'm definitely here for it. Oh, yeah. All right, Amanda, let's go into our main topic of discussion on our episode this time, episode 199, and that is talking all about Wanda Maximoff and comparing doing our best to find a character in Star Wars that would sort of uh, be the most comparable to Wanda Maximoff and her character. Now, we've been Marvel fans for a while. I, I don't claim to be the level of a Marvel fan as I am Star Wars by any means. We just kind of are, are casual fans, I, I think, for the both of us. Uh, maybe maybe a little more than casual fans. I mean, we watch we watch the films regularly. We've done marathons over the years. Um, typically see the movies in theaters and things like that. But, you know, we're not like the hardcore, like we don't read the comics or anything like that. So, you know, there's probably similarities and things that we just were, you know, we don't know of. But I really enjoyed watching her character over the years. And we were first introduced to her in 2015 in Age of Ultron. And Amanda, what I kind of want to do now, and you know, we are going to be talking about spoilers, so if you have not seen uh, WandaVision or any of the other Marvel films with Wanda Maximoff character in it, um, we are going to be talking about spoilers, of course. But Amanda, would you mind just kind of taking our listeners through just a, a very brief recap of Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, and how she went from where we first saw her in Age of Ultron to why the events in WandaVision were occurring and the different things that happened to her in life. Okay. I am excited for this one. Um, Wanda, when we met her was a radicalized, um, individual who had already experienced the violent death of both of her parents in front of her face, um, during a bombing on her city in Sokovia. And, she was sitting and watching, um, I believe it was the Dick Van Dyke show with her parents and her little brother, Pietro, and a bomb went off and it happened to be a Stark Industries bomb and it killed both of her parents and they were left there for days trapped in the house before they were rescued. And that specific incident radicalized her and um, kind of propelled her into the bad guy's hands, she became a pawn. So she had submitted to some, I would say, um, less than savory testing with Hydra, because uh, that's where she ended up landing. And it gave her superpowers that turned her into what would become the Scarlet Witch. Now, during this testing that Hydra performed, they were using the Mind Stone, which gave Wanda extreme powers. And she was actually one of, her and her brother both were two of the only test subjects to survive this testing. So they became their pawns and were propelled to kind of, you know, wage war against the Avengers and Tony Stark, Tony Stark ultimately um, searching for some kind of retribution for what happened to her in her childhood. So that's the first layer of trauma. Um, she ends up switching sides to save Sokovia. And during that whole interaction at the end of the age of Ultron, she lost her brother who sacrificed himself in the line of fire. 
Um, so there is another added layer of trauma um, was losing her brother. After that, she joined the Avengers um, and started honing her powers and trying to do a little more good in the world after, you know, how her viewpoints had been twisted by Hydra and how she had been used. So she really wanted to give back some and, you know, start bettering her life. And on one of her missions, she was trying to divert a bomb with her powers and lost control and shot the bomb into a building of people and effectively did to all of those people what had been done to her as a child. She destroyed all of those lives and then she was carrying this added layer of trauma, this added layer of grief. Um, and the only person that she could really lean on at this point was Vision. He was the only one that even took the time to try and support her, to try and comfort her or understand her. So we leave Wanda, you know, forming this relationship with Vision. And as the uh, films progress, her and Vision develop a relationship. They fall in love. And eventually they kind of go off into hiding and live under the radar together um, after the Avengers kind of se separated their ways. And um, that brings us to when they were called back to action. Um, and then we go into Infinity War where they are all battling against Thanos and trying to keep him from getting all of the Infinity Stones. Wanda's power originated from the Mind Stone, which um, when it was used on her actually came from Loki's scepter. And now it had been used to create Vision. So Vision had a huge target on his back as far as Thanos was concerned because that was one of the last stones that Thanos needed. And it ap actually happened to be the last stone that Thanos needed. So when we come to the end of Infinity War, they are all battling against Thanos. He's getting closer and closer to Vision and Wanda is doing her absolute best to hold him back. And Vision realizes that what he sacrificed himself to destroy the stone because Wanda is the only person that has the power to destroy that stone and save half of humanity or half of the galaxy, really. Everything that exists because that's what Thanos wanted to do. He wanted to destroy half of everything. So Vision compels Wanda, begs her to do it. And begrudgingly, painfully, heartbroken, and in absolute and utter despair and pain, she does do it because it is the only way to save everyone else. And she kills the stone while it's in his head, while holding Thanos back simultaneously. And Thanos has the time stone. So Thanos just uses his little wrist after Wanda makes the greatest sacrifice anyone could make, turns back time tosses her aside and rips the stone out of Vision's head. So she had to watch her lover die, not once, but twice. And then Thanos snaps and she's obliterated too. Um, and then she comes back when every, during the blip, when everyone is reimagined and they all come back after they undo Thanos' snap. And she is left in a world that is years ahead, still living in that moment of grief, of pain, um, watching what had happened to Vision and what she had to do to Vision, along with all the other layers of grief that she had never had an opportunity to appropriately deal with and heal from. So when you go from there, I mean, she's got a lot going on. 
and she goes and tries to reclaim Vision's body so that she can bury it. That's all she wanted to do was she wanted to give him a proper burial. Um, she kind of busted down all the windows in the science lab where he was being pulled apart bit by bit because he was made of very valuable vibranium. And in that dehumanizing moment of his body, she kind of lost it and tried to go and see him. And she did go down and she couldn't feel him anymore. She couldn't feel the vision that she knew and she left. And that's kind of where Wanda vision picks up and Wanda goes to the place, to an undisclosed location. So we're just driving along with Wanda and she walks into this empty frame. And this is what we see at the very end of WandaVision that kind of explains how it all starts. She walks into an empty house foundation and holds up a letter that says to grow old in from Vision. And that was supposed to be their home. And from this moment of intense pain, she performs chaos magic and out of that pain, she kind of recreates a 1950s sitcom, very similar to the Dick Van Dyke show, because it is something that she grew up watching, and uh, holds the entire town hostage through several decade episodes. And um, from that point on, doesn't knowingly and unknowingly torments the town with her dreams and her pain while they're all forced to be kind of puppets acting in her charade so that she can live out this fantasy where her and vision get there happily ever after. And I've got to say the first few episodes for me, even though I knew something was really, really wrong, were really, really cathartic watching Wanda finally get her happy ending. Cause I know I've told you more than once um, and especially at the end of Infinity War, that Wanda Maximoff is the one character in Marvel that has been done the dirtiest. And it felt really, really good to get to see her happy and with Vision and just having these really blissful, peaceful, sweet, quirky sitcom moments with him. Because um, that's kind of the ending that we all hoped that she would be able to have someday, but not under the circumstances that she got her moment of uh, happy ending. So th from that, she kind of goes through her little series, the WandaVision uh, miniseries, and um, it ends up with her destroying this town that she had held hostage. And in the same breath, she also had to let go of the vision that she had made herself and the two children that they had made in this um, little hex. That's what it was called, in the hex. So she added another layer of grief onto that, as well as the guilt that she was carrying for holding all these people, this entire town hostage, because they felt her pain. Um, and she was left, when everything reverted back to normal, sitting alone in that empty house foundation. Yep, pretty serious stuff there. And of course, anyone who's ever lost a loved one can can understand how hard it is when you lose somebody close to you. And for Wanda to have to go through it repeatedly is something, you know, that that is completely and utterly traumatic and devastating. And, you know, to watch Wanda figure that out and 
work through it herself and and do things to make herself feel better i think is understandable and it was kind of it was a lot of fun for me to watch it um but what i want to do is is kind of compare what happened with wanda and maybe the emotions she was feeling and and the events that happened in wanda's life with characters from star wars obviously this uh is not going to be exactly the same right i mean you you have differences in stories and characters and things like that, but there are a lot of characters in Star Wars that really have very, very traumatic lives. Um, and that's kind of what I want to focus on today, just kind of making some comparisons between the two. Um, and so, Amanda, you and I came up with a list of a couple characters, and then we also got a couple uh, of your guys' thoughts, our listeners' thoughts on some characters. And we'll go through that at the end. But Amanda, let's get started with some of our thoughts. And I have to say, this first one that we're going to talk about would be my choice. If someone was to say, Eric, with your knowledge of Star Wars and what you know of Wanda, pick one character from the Star Wars universe that you think fits in best with the trauma that Wanda had to go through. And for me, that's Anakin Skywalker. I don't know if you agree with that, Amanda. I know we had talked about it, and Anakin was a character that we had kind of both come up with. I don't know if that would be your number one choice, um, but if you if you think about it, you have this little slave boy, right? And unlike most Jedi, he developed attachments. He grew up to the to be the age of nine before he was taken away by the Jedi. He made that choice. He wanted to leave. Um, and his goal was to come back and free his mom. And you have this one little boy who no one, nobody with the exception of one person, Qui-Gon Jinn, believes in him, right? If you think back to some of the, the characters and some of the lines that we hear from some of these people in Star Wars, oh, why do I sense we've picked up another pathetic life form? That's Obi-Wan, right, before they before they leave Tatooine, and Qui-Gon has to say it's the boy who's responsible for getting us these pots. You know, and he has to talk to him about that and be like, look, this dude is allowing us to leave. Obi-Wan did not believe in him at that point. The only reason why Obi-Wan trained Anakin is because that was Qui-Gon's dying wish. You take him to the council, right? Young little boy Anakin goes to the council, and none of the council were like, oh, yeah, he's too old. There's much fear in him. Fear leads to the dark side. You know, we can't train him. His thoughts dwell in his mother, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, they're they're beating him down repeatedly. He hears no from so many people. Um, he heard no from Watto all the time as a slave growing up. He heard he worked as a slave of the huts almost, you know, and it's just, it's very traumatic i mean thinking about what he went through as a little kid and then the one person who believes in him qui-gon is killed at the end of the phantom menace you fast forward to episode two we have anakin going back to save his mom his mom is dies in his arms he has to close her eyes with his hand as he watches her die the one person that truly truly believed in him that was still alive she was so excited to see him back. She couldn't even get the words out that she loved him. And as she dies, he's holding her. And it's not till a little bit later that he actually gets the chance to bury her um, with, with her new family. Um, obviously, throughout this time, he's developing this relationship with Padme, which is forbidden. 
turns romantic it gets to a point where they can't go back anymore they've already said you know confess to each other that they love each other they've gone through all of this hardship all of this war they get married at the end of episode two and then you go into the clone wars right you get to the clone wars and a lot goes on with anakin he doesn't want this padawan but this padawan shows up he goes through all of this five seasons training ahsoka which is only a couple years in in Star Wars time, but with us, I mean, with the character development they did throughout Clone Wars, and you get to see this relationship, much like the relationship that Anakin has with Obi-Wan, but now with Anakin as the master, Anakin as the mentor and the teacher, and, you know, that, that figure, the authority figure above Ahsoka and everything that they went through. I mean, anytime Ahsoka was lost or confused or missing, I mean, Anakin was there. He was the one looking for her. He was the one not giving up on her. He was the one trying to prove that she was innocent of the temple bombing and all that stuff. And after everything, all he tried to do, all of his time with Ahsoka, she ends up leaving the order. Now, I'm not saying Ahsoka made the wrong decision, but from Anakin's perspective, it's really hard on somebody. You know, you have this friend that you work with for years, and then all of a sudden, they're just, they leave. You know, they make a conscious decision to not be there, to go on a different path. That's going to be hard. And then I don't have to tell you guys what happens in episode three. You know exactly what he did, what Anakin's choices were. And I feel like in this instant, Anakin made that choice because he knew that Padme had died. He knew that it could have been... He he thinks it was him that killed her, right? I mean, Palpatine says, in your anger, you killed her. And that was his whole reason for turning to the dark side. Or most of it, he was was, uh, acting as a puppet under Palpatine and that was part of it but the other part of it was he wanted to save Padme his new powers the dark side powers could save her from dying from these visions that that he had been having these nightmares that he'd been having of her dying and then she dies right then Padme dies and his reason for turning to the dark side rendered useless it didn't matter he had killed her because he turned to the dark side um, and then through that, obviously, he spends years as Darth Vader, wreaking havoc as a Dark Lord of the Sith. And not until the end does he, through Luke, turn back to the good side. And I think for Anakin, it's a really rough time. I mean, he was in his 40s when he died as Vader. And I think you can make a lot of different comparisons between Anakin and Wanda. Oh, absolutely. Um, and especially because so many people doubted Anakin or behaved towards him like his rash behavior was dangerous. Um, a lot of people ostracized Wanda in the same way because her powers were so great and she was a little bit of a loose cannon herself and she did not have full control over what she could and couldn't do. Um, so I think that that's another layer of similarity to be drawn between them. Yeah, and when you get to talking about being a puppet, essentially, I mean, you go to what happened in WandaVision, and there was Agatha there, right? Mm -hmm. That whole thing. Yep. Even with um, as smart as Wanda is, as competent as she is, she got taken for a ride. Eventually, she came out of it, the victor, but she nearly lost her life 
to Agatha because Agatha wanted to suck all of the power out of out of her. And within this world, this hex that Wanda had created, she was behind the scenes pulling all the strings because, you know, it was Agatha all along. And... <laughs> <laughs> and set all of these things in motion that wouldn't have happened otherwise in Wanda's life. That Agatha all along thing was like stuck in my head for like a week. Uh, same. I was humming yeah. it at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another comparison I, I drew between Anakin and Wanda, and I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but a lot of what happened with Anakin was trauma. It was self-inflicted trauma. Right? I mean, he, he was the one that turned to the dark side. Had Anakin not turned to the dark side, had Anakin not made that choice... Now, granted, like I said before, he was being controlled by this puppet master of Palpatine, who in episode one said, we're going to watch your career with great interest. Anakin was in Palpatine's plans for a very long time. But separate from that, Anakin turned to the dark side in an effort to save Padme, which obviously did not work. And then I feel like Anakin felt as though his path passed the line of point return of, of what is that called? Pass the line of no return, no return. Yeah, no return. He couldn't return. He was just this Sith Lord, right? He was taking out people, choking his employees, you know, for screwing up. I mean, he was this Anakin Skywalker was dead. It was Darth Vader. They weren't the same people until Luke kind of helped Anakin resurface and, and help him realize that there was still good in him, that he could be turned back to the light. Um, and when you talk about Wanda and her traumatic experiences, I mean, she created this hex. She wanted to give herself happiness. But at the end of the day, what she was creating was not real. The vision that she created was not real. It was just being held together by her powers. Her kids were being held together by her powers was not real. So when you get to it and she has to say goodbye at the end, sure, as viewers, it's sad because we know what it's like to say goodbye and we know how much trauma she's been through, but she wouldn't have had to say goodbye to her kids if she didn't create them in the first place. That's just my opinion. I don't really think at that point she had much control over what was going on in the story. I, I think it took her a while to become conscious of what she had actually done. Yeah. I don't think she was fully realizing because well, I mean, she had, I'm going to, I'm going to say it. I think she had a major psychological break when she, went to that house foundation. I, I think all of those little fissures in her being just ripped open and cracked. I mean, there's only, I think of your well of emotions kind of like a cup. And I was talking about this on another podcast I was on. And when you keep filling that cup up with grief and grief and more grief and trauma and pain, a cup has a limit to how much it can hold before the contents of that cup spills over and, gets to everything that's in its path that touches it it taints it and i think right. that's what happened with her she didn't have control anymore yeah well i think we all have that breaking point in our lives and when so many things just build up i mean it's natural for things to just unleash you know um and it's a testament to strength 
you know, to to minimize the unleashing of disaster. But I think for for Wanda, she handled things in her own way, and I think unfortunately the way that she handled it caused her more grief in the end. You know, um, whether or not she knew what was happening or had control or not, I think it was it was unfortunate the way that things worked out for her, having to say goodbye to Vision again, having to say goodbye to her kids and all that. I mean that was that was rough to watch. It was sad, but as I said before, I mean she she did that to herself essentially. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting too, Amanda, is at the end of WandaVision, the last scene, we see Wanda sort of in a remote location in the middle of the wilderness, um, and I think she's just sitting on the on the steps outside. But her Scarlet Witch persona is levitating in one of the rooms within the house and reading the book that <clears throat> Agatha had, right? She's reading the book that Agatha had. And to me, this means that Scarlet Witch may end up taking a turn to the dark side, not unlike Anakin. Um, and so what do you think about that? Do you think that could be another potential comparison? I feel like we, for Wanda, are actually going to get a split personality where we have a Wanda Maximoff and we have a Scarlet Witch coexisting in the same person. So it's like Hulk and Banner almost, except... Except they can have these experiences at the same time because I feel like the Scarlet Witch persona of her was an almost an out-of-body type thing, like when... um Oh, what's his name? Like when Doctor Strange would levitate and do all of his super quick out-of-body learning. The astral form? Yes, thank you. Yeah. I think that's what's going on, except these are two separate personalities. At least that's my headcanon right now. These are two separate personalities coexisting in this one body. Yeah, that could be. I'm excited to find out. We'll see. We'll see if your theory on that is true. Um, but Amanda, let's go ahead and go on to our next character. Let's, let's talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan is a character that has gone through a lot. The one thing that I feel like with Obi-Wan is that he has a little bit of a different situation than Anakin, right? I mean, he grew up not, not having to essentially... I mean, with Anakin, he was a slave. He grew up to the age of nine with his mom. He knew about attachments and stuff like that. With Obi-Wan, I mean, he was a youngling at the temple. He grew up in the temple. He was constantly, you know, told, hey, don't have these attachments. It's not the Jedi way. This isn't how we do things. And so that is one reason why my one choice would be Anakin Skywalker, because he grew up having attachments much like Wanda did, with Obi-Wan a little bit different. But... Obi-Wan, you think back to what happens in his life, right? I mean, he loses Qui-Gon Jinn, his master. He loses uh, the Duchess, Duchess Satine, who he obviously cared for. And we hear about in the Clone Wars, he says to her, had you said the word, I would have left the order. And so we obviously know that there were some feelings there, some some romantic feelings there. Um, and he had to watch her die by someone who wants nothing more than to cause Obi-Wan pain. Right? I mean, Maul, all he wanted was Obi-Wan to feel pain. 
not to just kill him swiftly, not to just end his life. He wanted him to physically feel pain while being alive. Um, and so he had to watch Satine die. And then, of course, Anakin, we hear him say, you were like a brother, Anakin. You know, I loved you. And he, he did treat him as a brother. He did treat him as a best friend going through years, over a decade of time together as two people who were very rarely seen without one another. I mean, these two guys were literally like brothers that went through all of this. And to see Anakin not only turn to the dark side, not only hear about him killing younglings, little kids, but to watch him choke Padme right in front of him and then watch him burn on the lava pit, the lava side, the fire side, burn alive and to leave him there for dead after everything that you've been through after that obi-wan exiles himself to a desert planet to watch over anakin's kid and he is able to train him after he sacrifices himself to anakin by the way um and so i think there's a lot that can be compared uh dealing with grief and everything when you when you talk about obi-wan kenobi Absolutely. And going back to that moment with um, Maul and Duchess Satine, it's very reminiscent of the moment with Thanos and Wanda and Vision when he forced her to watch him kill Vision again. Yep. After this grand sacrifice. Although I don't think Thanos really cared much to cause her pain. He like I, I don't think that he has the emotional depth to care. He just wanted it and he knew how to get it and he took it from her, you know? Right. Whereas Maul, all he wanted was revenge on Obi-Wan. I mean, he wanted him to feel every cut and all that stuff he talks about. And, and he wanted to cause him emotional pain at that point. And you can see the devastation on Kenobi's face when that happens. And she says, I've always loved you. And then she just dies. It's like, oh, God, you know, I mean, this is this is awful. Obi-Wan goes through a lot and it's a lot more than just what happens in the movies. I mean, you you've heard us throughout this episode talk about events that happened in the Clone Wars. And I really do feel like if you guys have not watched the Clone Wars or Rebels, you're doing yourself a disservice because there's so much content in those shows that really add to the story. And if you watch episode two and then you watch the Clone Wars and then you watch episode three, the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan in episode three and the events that happen in that film means so much more after seeing their brotherhood develop within the Clone Wars. So I really think you guys should watch it if you haven't. Uh, we probably definitely spoiled a bunch of stuff just now, but um, it's, <laughs> it's a great show. Anything else you want to add, Amanda, regarding Obi-Wan? I think that Obi-Wan's upbringing and his um, early training to be reserved to um, kind of withhold his emotions and how he had been tempered from a young age really played a part in um, how he proceeded with his grief as compared to Wanda. So I think that's where they depart. Right. As far as their similarities, because he definitely went in an entirely different direction. But he had also been given the tools to persevere and the support, at least 
from an early age how to get those tools and how to manage grief and pain and go forward from that and to err on the side of the light, whereas Wanda did not have those experiences and those tools to help herself. Yeah, agreed. And that's kind of why I'm saying if I had to pick one, I would pick Anakin because Mm -hmm. Anakin did not have those tools, you know. Um, It was almost too late for Anakin to be told, hey, we're not supposed to have attachments. Well, okay, I've spent almost a decade of my life having attachments, you know. It's not like a light switch you can just flip off. It's that's something very challenging to to ingrain into someone who has lived their life in an entirely different entirely different way. Now, we came up with another one. Um, Amanda, this one was one we were trying to go back and forth who would be our third character for this and we came up with Asajj Ventress. Again, another mm-hmm. character in the Clone Wars that I feel like had a, a very traumatic time. We see her as Dooku's assassin, this character that that Dooku kind of trains and uses for these special missions and stuff. Um, And in season three, we get a little bit more backstory on her character and what happened. She had a master named Kai Narek who was killed in battle. And uh, she kind of went a little crazy after that happened and um, was taken in and... and, uh, you know, she she had to deal with the loss of her master, and it seems like that is a that is a a common theme here, right? Obi Wan loses his master, Qui Gon. Um, a lot of these characters, even in the High Republic, I'm reading books now where all these people are losing their masters. I'm like, geez, you talk about traumatic. I mean, the the one and only mentor that these characters have had, the people that they've been spending their entire life with, just gone in an instant like that. Yeah, that's pretty and, rough. And for Asajj Ventress, her master wasn't just the person that she was training under. Under he was the person that kind of rescued her. Yeah, I mean the Night Sisters, more or less to keep their village safe, sold her to somebody else when she was a child. They kind of you know peddled her off to him um, in a bargain. And they touched base on that later when she did rejoin the Night Sisters um, on that trade made that that you know she made a sacrifice to help her people in doing that, and then her master saved her because um, these were relatively unsavory people that she'd been stuck with, and from there she loses her master and loses her way. It's a rough time. and anybody would have problems with that. And then when you continue on with her story, She's brought into the fold with the separatists and is sort of Dooku's, Count Dooku's right-hand assassin, right-hand man, right-hand woman. And it gets to a point where in season three, Sidious goes to Dooku and said, you know what, I don't really like her. I don't like that you're training her. Uh, I think we just need to eliminate her. Prove your loyalty to me and take her out. And so Dooku does, and he essentially leaves her to die where uh, she she doesn't die obviously she she gets caught up in in the mix with some some pirates some uh, some people who are scavenging in the area and she gets to Dathomir and kind of rejoins the Night Sisters and so she gets betrayed by Dooku and that's another big part of her trauma that happens you know her her master the one person that she thought that she was in in league with thought that she was she was good she was golden nope on the 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 flip of a switch she is now 
the number one target. The separatists are even willing to sacrifice their own their own soldiers, their own droids and stuff like that to eliminate her. So again, another big issue. Yeah. And I mean, with that kind of betrayal, where do you go with the layers of trauma and what's been given to you? Who do you decide to become? Like what's left? Yeah. And we definitely see with Ventress her go through a lot of changes in her character. I mean, she... Um, from where we see her in season one to where we end with her in season five, I believe is the last season where we see Ventress. We don't see her in seven and I'm pretty sure we don't see her in six either. Um, you know, she, she's obviously out for herself, but she does things to help other people. You know, I think she leaves the separatist way. She leaves the way of the Sith and she becomes a much, a much different person. Now, of course, there is a book that, um, you know, we're not going to talk about too much, but uh, spoiler warning here. It's called Dark Disciple. Yeah, Dark Disciple. Thank you. Um, And this does end Ventress's story. This book is about uh, her, Quinlan Voss, and her and Quinlan Voss. And um, at the end of this book, uh, she dies. And so it's it's a it's a traumatic story. It's a, it's a very difficult thing to think about the life of Asajj Ventress and not feel bad for her. Oh, I absolutely I have so much empathy for what she's gone through and I didn't start off that way. When we first started watching The Clone Wars and it was my first go through and I didn't know any of these people, she made me so mad all the time. And then we started peeling back the layers. Then we started seeing the why. And it really reminded me that this can happen to anyone given the circumstances. Obviously, like, not to this extent in, you know, giant galactic space battles where she's, you know, heading an army and slicing people to bits with her lightsabers. But the theme of it can really happen to anybody depending on their circumstance and the tools that they're given from that. I mean, she was manipulated by Dooku and she was already in a state where she could be that easily manipulated into believing that this is where she belonged and this was her only path and this is what gave her life meaning. Yeah, definitely. And I think with all three of the characters that we had selected as our answers here, you can make some comparisons and again, none of them are going to be completely accurate. It's two different stories, two different franchises, and obviously you want to have some differences, but I think that the ones we picked here can definitely be compared to the story of Wanda Maximoff, uh, the Scarlet Witch in Marvel's universe. Um, and we did open it up this week to people, our listeners, and we got a couple answers from Dumo here on who he thinks is the closest example to Scarlet Witch. And I really loved Dumo. I loved your answers um, you gave us a couple different ones. Your first one was Ezra Bridger. I thought that was a great one, Dumo. I, I really do agree with that. If you think about the things that Ezra had to go through, right? And again, we're going to be talking spoilers here for Star Wars Rebels, if you guys haven't watched that. Um, but with Ezra, you think about everything that happened, right? I mean, his parents were gone, and they were dead, and they weren't dead. They were dead, and they weren't dead. And then, okay, they're dead. Um, you think about the family friend, Mr. Sumar, gets blown up right in front of him, right? Thrawn blows him up. 
Um, and then you think about Kanan, his master Kanan, just dead, trying to save everybody, you know. And I think you you talk about a character who went through a lot at a young age. I mean, Ezra celebrated his 15th birthday on Empire Day in the first season. And, you know, it's four seasons, so he's not even probably 20 years old by the time Rebels ends. Maybe he, he's probably close to 20 years old by the time Rebels ends. But everything that boy went through from the time of being a teenager through where we the end of Rebels, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot for a young kid to go through. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, given what he had been through, he made decisions that a lot of people wouldn't have been capable of doing. I agree. I think I think that was a good answer, Dumo. Dumo, you gave us another answer, too. And this one is Starkiller, right? Galen Merrick, the main character from the Force Unleashed video games. And I loved this answer. I was not even thinking in this direction. But if you guys have ever played those games, this character was a little boy on Kashyyyk when, after Order 66, Vader was hunting down all of the Jedi Knights and Jedi Masters, all the Jedi that were left. And he goes to Kashyyyk and he kills Galen Merrick's Jedi Master, and he's just a little kid. I mean, he's no more than a Padawan, um, or he kills, yeah, he kills a Master, and it's a boy there. I'm assuming it was his Master, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but this little boy uses the Force after Vader kills his Master to get Vader's lightsaber. Vader realizes that he's Force-sensitive and then takes him with him to train him as his secret apprentice. And so this guy was literally trained from the age of a small boy. I don't even know, maybe five, maybe not even five, maybe less than five, to become this killing machine, to leave no survivors, good guys, bad guys, empire, rebels, everyone dies, to become this killing machine. And then he ends up turning, right? He goes to the rebels and uh, he falls in love with Juno. And then everything with Juno that happens, I mean, she thinks he's dead. And then in the second game, of course, you have the clone. Is he a clone? Is he not a clone? He ends up falling, tra- chasing after Juno. And if I'm believing correctly, I believe Juno dies at the end. I could be wrong on that, but I thought she died at the end. Why does everyone have mistaken. to die in these shows? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's part of trauma, you know? I mean, you you want to compare to Wanda, you're going to have to talk about a lot of death. Lot of death. Yeah. So I love those answers from Dumo. Great choices there. I agree with them. We got another thought, and this is from Radio Rebellion, a Star Wars podcast. They say Kenobi, he lost his mentor, best friend, brother, and woman he loved. Couldn't express or let himself feel any emotions to carry any of it due to the Jedi Order. He had to carry on like nothing happened, but we know, thanks to the way he reacted on Mustafar, that he did feel a connection. So thank you, Radio Rebellion, for your thought there. I think we agree that Kenobi did uh, have a lot of trauma, and you can definitely make a lot of comparisons to what happened with Wanda on that one. So thank you, everybody, for your thoughts on that. We appreciate you guys participating. And, um, yeah, it's not a fun subject to talk about, really, all this trauma. But I feel like it's important for all of us, listeners, people who are creating the content like us, I I feel like just to make 
trauma something that everyone's aware of. Everyone deals with it in a, in a different way. And I think to go about it in the way that some of these characters, like Obi-Wan, um, went through, and just to avoid some of the devastating mistakes that can be made through traumatic experiences. So I think it's an important thing to discuss and, and how we handle grief and all of that. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the more it's made an open topic, the more resources people will realize are out there. Because I don't know if y'all know, but in this house, we are huge mental health advocates. So talking about it, learning about it, and learning how to express it. And also, you know, things like this where we get to sit and make comparisons and kind of dig into the whys and hows of what caused everything to go wrong or what grief propels people to do is, you know, a really important part of the conversation because so often in these stories, in these fantastical stories that we get in fandom, whether it be Marvel or Star Wars, they kind of gloss over the after effects of what all of this pain and devastation leaves them with because they're already on to the next. And I, I'm really enjoying that they're starting to dig into the reality of it a little more and show people that it's okay not just to pick up and carry on and that these are things that demand to be felt. Absolutely. So we want to thank you all for joining us here on episode 199 of Twin Suns Transmission, where we talked all about trauma and grief and comparing Star Wars characters to what we saw with Wanda in WandaVision and throughout her time in the MCU. We're very excited to see Wanda again in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I believe we'll see her again there, which should be kind of interesting. And um, we're very excited because we have an exciting show for you guys next time on episode 200. We've had 200 episodes here at Twin Suns Transmission. We're very proud of that. And we're going to have some guests on the show for you as well. So be prepared for that. We have one so far that we've announced. And we're looking forward to our 200th episode. So hopefully you guys will join us for that. But Amanda, if people want to find us on social media, where can they do that? You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now YouTube, all under the handle at Twin Suns Outpost. All right. And if people are looking for places to listen to our show, we are on our you can find us on our website, which is www.twinsunsoutpost.com. You can also find us on the Star Wars Podcast app through the Google Play Store and on iTunes. And if you guys feel like being generous, you can go ahead and give us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much again for joining us on this episode. We have a ton of great Star Wars content coming out. We are going to be finishing up for the month of March in our book club, Into the Dark by Claudia Gray, and we'll have a podcast out for that. Of course, we have discussion questions every single week on our book club pages, which is on Facebook. It's just a private group, TSO Book Club. You can find us there if you want to participate. We're also on Twitter for that, which is at TSO Book Club. We post our discussion questions there. And we're very excited because we're going to be going into Victory's Price by Alexander Freed for the month of April. So lots of great things coming up and to look forward to for Star Wars and Star Wars fans. Of course, uh, as I said, we're very excited about our 200th episode, so we hope that you'll join us next time for that. Thanks for listening, and as always, may the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. 
You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the force be with you always.